Alleluia. Praise the Lord Jehovah. If you don't like the word, you don't want to go to heaven. You're going to hear it. You're going to hear it a lot. Hallelujah. Amen. You're going to be saying it, yes. I hope that you were on your tiptoes, straining to get the best glance that you could at the King of Kings and singing praise to his glorious name. Amen. Open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1 for our opening verse of Scripture. I don't like the word fun, but I'm going to use it just for a second. Today, we want to have fun in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't mean foolish fun. I don't mean jesting fun or joking fun. I mean pleasure. We want to take pleasure in meditating upon the Lord Jesus Christ and His glory. You know, the Bible tells us, My meditation of Him shall be sweet. sweet. The Bible tells us, Acquaint now thyself with Him and be at peace. If you will consider the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ with me, it will convict your souls to give Him all that you've got. And it will comfort your souls that He will take care of all your troubles. And it will give you courage and confidence that the future only holds victories. And one final great victory. He's already won a pretty big one. He conquered death and hell. Did you notice those words that we were singing? Let all the minions of hell gather themselves against him. It was his hour. And his hour was to come out of the grave and to defeat death and Satan. And he did. Amen. I hope you know, you may not, but I preached a message to you, and it's probably a year and a half ago now, if I can even recall it, the timing of it. I have come to appreciate more and more a subject that isn't dealt with very much, and that is the ascension and coronation of the Lord Jesus Christ. To coronate someone is to crown him and make him king. All kings would have coronation ceremonies where the crown would be put on their heads and they'd be made king. Our Lord Jesus Christ died and paid for our sins. He rose from the dead, showing that he had conquered death, and sin and its condemnation for us. But he didn't stop there. He ascended up into heaven. We read in Acts 1, men on earth looking up, watching him leave. We read in Revelation chapter 5, John seeing him arrive in heaven. When there was no man to open the book of him that sat on the throne. But the Lord Jesus Christ arrived looking like a Slain lamb, a lamb that had been slain, and went over and opened that book of the everlasting covenant out of the hands of God. Right. That was the ascension, and he was crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and took the throne of David, and he's still there today. Amen. And that is what we believe. And we are a little band of saints in Greenville, South Carolina, that are members of a heavenly kingdom. We are citizens of a holy nation, and the Lord Jesus Christ is our King. And no one on earth can touch us, even if they burn our bodies, which they have done to many of our fathers in the faith. I want to talk about Jesus being the King of Kings this morning. I want you to think about that and delight in it and see what it does to convict you about if you have a temptation, it's hard for you to lay aside. If you'll get a real vision of Jesus as King, 
you'll give him anything. Right. If you're afraid of the future, Jesus holds the future in his hands and is going to dictate its terms. Go to him and trust him. He'll take care of your future. Right. If you're worried about the political affairs of our nation or the world, worry no more. He's in charge of the whole place. Amen. He restrains the wrath of man that doesn't praise him, and surely the wrath that he allows does praise him. And so what goes on in our nation is entirely by his eternal decrees and his absolute infinite power. Right. Ever want a hero? Every man wants a hero. Mm-hmm. He's given us one. Amen. The Armenian religion was so drab, so boring, so non-appealing, because its Lord Jesus Christ is a total loser by every measure. He doesn't have his kingdom. He's, he doesn't have his kingdom. He's still waiting for it. You know, our Lord Jesus Christ has his kingdom. Amen. He couldn't redeem his saints. All he could do was try to help them redeem themselves. And most of them he failed. It, on and on it goes. He's begging at heart's doors. My Savior isn't begging at heart's doors. When my Savior wants to go through a door, he can either open it or he goes through the wall. Right. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? Amen. They locked and barred the door and he went right through and stood in their midst. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. He's different by every measure. We want to think about him this morning. We have an election coming up. I'm not going to say anything. I don't try to preach politics from this pulpit. I consider that a travesty on the gospel to preach politics. But no matter what, you, what view you have of the political situation in our nation, Jesus Christ is ruling over this nation, Amen. and he will give us what this nation deserves, but we're going to beg him to give us one that would help us, right. even if he doesn't know that he's helping us. Right. Even if he's passing laws to protect the Catholic Church. You know what? who would have to win that election. Not necessarily. They both could pass laws to protect the Catholic Church. But you know what? There's a king in heaven that could have laws passed that would protect us. Amen. We still have an IRS code that has forms entitled Exemption for Ministers of the Gospel. Every time I look at that piece of paper and it has its IRS code number, Form 4363, go home and look it up. Go to irs.gov on the Internet. Look up Form 4363 and to see Ministers of the Gospel. That's amazing, isn't it? Amen. Jesus Christ has taken this pagan nation and made it into a nursing father and nursing mother for his people. The Lord Jesus Christ governs our coming election. I'm glad to put my trust in him. Amen. It's too bad that you've never seen a real king. I'd like to see a real king. I hope that you have faith strong enough and eyes clear enough that you can see a real king right. from the word of God. If we had lived with one, we would have a better understanding of how great Jesus Christ is. Let's just think very briefly about how great kings are. If kings disliked a man, what could they do to him? Could they kill him? If the king even got a frown on his face about a man standing in his presence, no matter at what what level of government, what did the servants do as soon as they saw that the king was a little unhappy with them? Put a bag over his head. Who are we speaking of? Haman. Remember Haman was begging for his life? How was he begging for his life? He was down on his knees beside the king's wife, and the king didn't like the idea. He said, what are you going to do? Force her in my presence? All he had to do was say those words, and men stepped out of the curtains, put a bag over his head, and took him out and hung him. What position did he have in that government? Number two. Second. 
would have thought that he had to go to some congressional committee and got approval to do something like that. I would have thought that maybe he would have had to go to trial for seven years, had, re, had retrials, had appeals, put him in a nice country club for seven years. But no, he just got a little upset and said, what are you going to do, rape my wife in front of me? Out he went, second in command. Same king. A man comes to him and says, will you sign this document, please? What is it? We're going we're gonna to wipe out an ethnic group. We want to we want to wipe out a race from the earth. Will you sign it? He puts his signature on it. What were they going to do? Kill every Jew on earth. In 170 provinces of the Persian Empire. Right. That is power we've never even imagined. You know, our president has to ask permission to take a vacation. He tries to appoint a circuit judge in some state. And he had, that judge gets to come before a committee, and they get to turn him down. We won't accept your appointee. We have never seen power like that. Right. If the king said, I've, I've had a religious conversion, I've got a new God idea, and I'm going to build him a tower, I'm going to build a great monument to my new God, an image, and I've got a new band to play contemporary worship music, and if you don't like my religion, I'm going to put you in a fiery furnace. Did, that, did, did you get to go to trial before you went in the fiery furnace? Did they worry that it might be cruel and unusual punishment? What did he do to your house? Turned it into a dunghill. Bold Listen, I tell you this, and it's not, it's not all funny. It's for you to get an idea of a king. You know, the bulldozers show up in Spalding Farm. The bulldozers just push the house down. It's hauled away. And then in come these big dump trucks, and they dump a bunch of chicken crap right where your house once stood, that's what Nebuchadnezzar could do, and he didn't ask permission to do it, and he did it to anyone he wanted to, right up to number two in his kingdom. Right. And then when three Hebrew children didn't get burned by his fiery furnace, he changed his mind and said, their God's the real religion. Now, if you say anything against their God, I'll do the same thing to you. Now, that is absolute power. When you right. can change 180 degrees in two minutes of time, and you could kill people on this side. Now you're going to kill people that speak against this God. That is power we have never seen. Right. And people have lived in the fear, dread of that power for most of human history. But Jesus Christ is King of Kings. Right. As kings have had dominant power over humanity, Jesus Christ has total dominant power over all kings, presidents, Congress premiers, and anyone else. There's no dictator outside of his control, and he manipulates him like a puppet. Right. The devil himself is the most powerful creature that we know in earth. And yet the Bible speaks of him as being a glove on the hand of God and being moved by God to do what he did against Job. Satan is entirely... Satan had to ask permission. Can I touch him? You can go this far and no further. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Are you being attacked by the devil? Commit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. He can save you. The devil can't touch you without his permission. The devils can't touch a pig without the permission of the Lord Jesus Christ. They begged and pleaded, can we go into those pigs? He could have said no. And they would have been without a body. and They'd have been crazy. They'd have gone insane without somebody to confuse and mess up and destroy. And he said, go ahead into the pigs. It's the Son of David, and I want you to glory in Him today. Amen. I want you to rejoice in Him. 
I don't want you to ever be afraid. We should never be afraid. How could those, how could our brethren go to the stake and be chained there and burn? You know, I spoke this weekend about one flame of fire for one nanosecond, burning your whole body and singing praise because you know that the Lord Jesus Christ was in charge of the flames, the men that put you there, and that your soul was about to depart your body, and his servants were coming for you in a chariot of fire to take you into heaven. You could sing praise to his name. You could forgive your captors while you were dying because of confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ being king. They had no fear. May we have no fear. Kings could do all sorts of things. How fast did it take Pharaoh to promote Joseph? One conversation? A couple of minutes? Did he have to get approval from anyone? All of a sudden, Joseph was second in Egypt. Was he an Egyptian? Weren't, wasn't the electorate kind of torqued that a foreigner was put number two in the nation of Egypt? Weren't the Egyptians a little upset? What about all the career politicians in Egypt that had been planning on getting up there near Pharaoh all along, and then this shepherd, Canaan, this shepherd, Israelite, Hebrew, comes in and gets to number two? How does that happen? That's the power of a king. Right. Who needed Joseph second in that nation? The Lord Jeho- Jacob did, and the Lord Jehovah did, so he gets him promoted. It was it hard to get Mordecai kind of high? Now, how do you have an edict written out that all the Jews are to be killed and then a Jew becomes number two in the kingdom? How do you go and defeat a nation, take one of their young men and make him a eunuch, and he becomes second or third in a nation? Kings were able to do that, and the Lord was able to use kings to accomplish his glorious purpose. How do you worship the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Is he a picture on your key ring? How do you worship him this morning? How much do you love him? How much do you fear him? How important is he in your life? Do you see him and know him that he is the king of kings and deserves our whole lives? See, we are a sect. We are the sect of Jesus the Nazarene. Amen. And he is our king. And it costs men their lives. And it will cost you your life in a living sacrifice if you ever get a grip on who he is and what he expects from us. You will give him a living sacrifice. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 14, a verse you are familiar with because I've shown it to you before. This is how the Lord expects us to think about worshiping him. Malachi 1.14, but cursed, but cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. Cursed be the deceiver. What is this deceiver? It's a man that comes into the worship of God and says he is a king. He is great. I worship the only God in the earth, a Jew. I worship the Lord Jehovah. And then when he goes out to his flock, he gets something pitiful out of his flock and doesn't bring him his best. Wherever you are not giving God your best, whether it's in your marriage or it's in your worship, whether it's on the job or it's with your children, where you are not giving God your best, you are a deceiver. Because you're coming in here saying that the Lord Jesus Christ is king with us, but you're not treating him like a king. Look what it says about him. 
Because the Lord says of himself, I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. 500 years after the Egyptian army was drowned in the Red Sea, the Ark of the Covenant of God came into battle. 500 years later, remember? The earth rang again. It echoed with the shout of Israel, who had, God had left them, and so they brought the Ark of the Covenant into battle, thinking that that would give them the victory. The Philistines heard the echo of Israel shouting at the arrival of the Ark. And do you know what they said among themselves? We are in trouble. Because that is the, the God that they're worshiping drowned the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. Right. How do we know it's 500 years? Because God gave them judges by the space of 450 years right. from Moses to Samuel. Almost 500 years. They still remembered. His name is dreadful among the heathen. But they're too dumb to repent, aren't they? Too twisted and too perverted to repent and go join, except for a few exceptions. Remember Ruth? Remember the little Moabitess woman? Your God will be my God. Your people, my people. I don't want this anymore. I want to be with your nation. Rahab the harlot. Why'd she? She had faith. Her fear was one of begging for mercy from Israel's God. And the Lord, ref the Lord respect, had respect unto a woman and saved her whole family. Amen. Here's a verse for you. How are we going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? And this isn't a dreadful duty. This is a great privilege. I am so thankful to be an ambassador of the High King of Heaven and to tell you about Him and to present to you that the Lord Jesus Christ rules in heaven and earth. There is no secret meeting or secret conspiracy anywhere in the earth that he isn't in total, absolute control of, which means worrying about it is absolutely fruitless. Amen. Because he's totally in charge. And we right. should rejoice in that, live our lives the best we can, knowing that the victory is ours. Right. It's already been won. He's just waiting to play it out in its full glory for his own honor and glory. I'm going to be baptizing some children soon. I hope you're listening to me, children. Do you know what baptism is? Baptism is baptism. This is one way that you can look at baptism. Baptism is when you get to tell the Lord Jesus Christ, you are king, and I give you my life. Right. I will bury my old self where I live for myself. And I will come up out of that water to walk in newness of life with you as my Lord and my King, obeying every one of your commandments. I get goosebumps telling you about it. I wish you got them hearing it. The Lord Jesus Christ gave us a swearing-in ordinance. You know, in the military, you are sworn in. I will defend the Constitution of the United States of America. You are sworn in to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and his ambassador. It isn't anything to do with the church. It has everything to do with you and the army of heaven. He sent me as his ambassador to baptize you in his glorious name. You own him as your savior and your only hope of eternal life. You own that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will live the rest of your life for him. You confess before all men and whoever is a witness of your baptism and before the angels of heaven. You give answer of a good conscience that Jesus Christ is Lord and that though this body is destroyed, he will raise this body from the dead just like I'm going to come up out of this water. 
Baptism is a wonderful ordinance. It's where you get to say something to the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. It is the answer of a good conscience toward God. It is not something you do for the rest of the church. It is something you get to do for God. From now on, for the rest of my life, I will keep the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ. I repent of my, fa- my past actions, and I will live for him. He is my Lord. See, we don't use that word. We don't even know what it means. He is my Lord and my Savior. That's why he is called the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to have some baptisms, and I hope you're excited about giving him a real sacrifice, one that he's asked for. He hasn't asked for us to bring bullocks. He hasn't asked for you to bring money. He wants to know if you'll be made a fool for his sake by going down into the watery grave, just like he went down into the grave of the earth and coming up out of it, swearing allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, For time and eternity, I will be loyal and faithful to you. Anybody here want to go get baptized again? (laughs) I wish it was a perpetual ordinance. You know, once a month, somebody baptized me again. Every time I think about it, talk about it, study it, I get more excited about it all the time. It's a glorious event. And you know what? Most, many of our brethren in the past, when they were baptized, do you know what that baptism meant? They were putting their life at risk right. to be baptized in the Christian sect of Jesus the Nazarene. In the beginning, was to deny the Jewish religion, so the Jews wanted to put you to death. Then it was to deny Caesar being a god, and the Romans wanted to put you to death, and it just kept going like that. Then it was denying the Pope and that stupid sprinkling you got as a baby. The Catholics wanted to put you to death. Then when you wanted to get baptized in the name of Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, the Calvinists wanted to put you to death. Right. Like Michael Servetus. Ah, baptism carried a lot more weight than it does today. I wish it carried that weight in your heart. I would be faithful even to death because I know that Jesus Christ will rescue me from those flames. Do you all understand that? While the flames are consuming your body and the last breath is coming out of your mouth and lungs, Jesus Christ has his servants right around that stake and takes you in his chariot straight into heaven. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for revealing yourself to us and calling us out of this world to be citizens in your kingdom. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. The first verse we looked at was Malachi 1.14. Some will say to me, that's in the Old Testament. He was a great king in the Old Testament. Oh, you think he's changed? Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Amen. He hasn't changed a whit. I'm going to prove it to you right now. He's still a great king, and he still expects to be worshipped the same way Malachi 1.14 described. Here's the verses. We know them well again. Hebrews 12.28 Wherefore we receiving a kingdom. What does a kingdom mean? Some place where there's a king, isn't it? A king is right. Re- we got a king again. Wherefore we having a king, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, it's going to last forever, brethren, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Not our God was a consuming fire, our God is a consuming fire. And he was about to burn up the city of Jerusalem. 
his enemies. This is how we ought to worship, with reverence and godly fear. And I hope that you have that in your heart this morning. Last Sunday I preached to you about the heart of David from Psalm 34. Do you remember? Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. That's what we want to do right now, is we want to magnify the Lord. We want to magnify him by making him as big as we possibly can, by looking in the word of God and seeing what kind of a king he was. And let's exalt his name together. Let's all together get excited about the Lord Jesus Christ being a great king. He is Then all these little choices about in our lives of whether we're going to obey or not become very small because he's a great king. And we're deceiving ourselves and we're deceiving him by coming into this assembly and not giving him all. You're cursed. You're cursed if you don't give him the best from your flock, the best of your life. Let's magnify him. Let's look at the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Why isn't Jesus preached as king? There's somebody that doesn't want him preached as king. They want him preached as beggar. He is a king. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 17. Now unto the king eternal. How long does that reign last? Forever. And ever. And ever. And ever, doesn't it? Amen. Now unto the king eternal. Immortal. When does he die? How long does he live? If he's immortal. Forever. And ever. Now unto the king eternal. Immortal. Invisible. The only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That is Paul in private correspondence with Timothy. Like I tried to tell you last Sunday, Paul is the closest in the New Testament to being like David. He loved the praise and thanksgiving of God. And here he is in a personal letter between two men, blessing the King Eternal. The immortal King. The invisible one. And that he's worthy and due glory and honor forever and ever. That's our brother Paul. And that was our brother David. And that's what we want to be like. Chapter 6 of the same epistle. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 15. Oh, let's go back and get some name dropping by the Apostle Paul. Again, in this personal letter, beginning at verse 13. I give thee charge... In the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords. Who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Amen. Private letter. Those words are fantastic words. All of those words are an oath of Paul assigning Timothy a job. Did he, did he get your attention? I think Paul got Timothy's attention. 
that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That passage ought to be read at every ordination. That is an oath. I charge thee in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is this, 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 and this, that you fulfill your job faithfully in a personal letter. Not some great formal ceremony. In a personal letter. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish he gripped us like that. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to Paul once, and it kind of it kind of altered his life just a little bit. Didn't it? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Did the Lord have something for him to do? Was it painful? Did it cost him everything for the rest of his life? Did he rejoice in doing it? Amen. This is how he wrote. Does it look like he's waning in his love of Christ? Does it look like he's about to retire? I'm going to retire. Go live in Arizona. I didn't mean anything by that, Brother Bob. I just It just came to my mind. I didn't. The Apostle Paul wasn't, about, wasn't thinking of retirement. All he could think about was serving this Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that those verses are all one big long sentence. It's one big paragraph. It's a charge. It's an oath of Paul putting Timothy in mind of his duties so that you can grasp that, well, that long sentence. It's a wonderful statement. Now, it's said in here that he's going to show us something soon, which is why I want you to understand this very clearly. Timothy, make sure that you are faithful to Jesus Christ until he appears. He's going to be visible. He's going to appear, and men are going to see him with their eyes. And do you know what they're going to see? He will show them something. There is going to be a show and tell coming like the world has never seen. They can't even imagine it. Who shall show in that 15th verse, in his times, who's in charge of time? Do you think he's waiting on anyone else? He's waiting on his own decrees of what he's going to do to this earth. In his times, when it's the right time, he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate. There's no president, there's no congress, there's no dictator, premier, or prime minister. There's no king, there's no queen. Outside of his control, he will show that he is the blessed and the only potentate. A potentate is someone with power. A man is impotent when he has no reproductive power. Medicine is very dangerous when it's very potent because it's powerful. It can affect your body. A potentate is one who has all power. He's a ruler. He's a dictator. And he's the blessed and only potentate. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the exhortation to Timothy, which we ought to take to ourselves, is be faithful unto death. And what does the Lord Jesus Christ say over and over in Revelation 2 and 3? I'll give you a crown of life. Amen. I'll give you a new name. I'll give you a white stone. Right. I'll, give, I'll let you sit in my throne with me. <laughs> on and on. He offers out titles that no earthly monarch could ever give us, nor have they offered us anything. And he says, I'll give it all to you if you'll be faithful. Right. He that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my Father's throne, just as my Father allowed me to sit in my throne. Wow. Amen. He is King of kings, and he offers us to participate in his reign with him. Acts 17.7. Acts 17. What got the early Christians in trouble? We're about to find out. What got the early Christians in trouble? 
It's the same thing that gets us in trouble today if we ever obey Jesus Christ like he's a king. See, a king is an absolute despot. A king is a dictator. He doesn't sit and let committees modify his opinions. He just gives his decree and we're supposed to obey. A king does. Jesus has given his opinions on how we're supposed to live our lives. And we're supposed to hate every contrary thought, whether it's in us or in anyone else or in all men. And if you ever lived like that, you'd be accused of being a heretic. Acts 17. Paul's in the city of Thessalonica. And they haul him before, they haul some of the brethren there before the magistrates. And this is what they had to say about them in verse 7. Whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king. See, Caesar wanted to be the only king. There's another king. One Jesus. One Jesus. Yeah, there's only one of him. And he was the one that they had sworn allegiance to by their baptisms and faith in him. And they were following the decrees of Jesus over the decrees of Caesar. If the two overcame in conflict with, the, with each other, they well understood we ought to obey God rather than men. When the two didn't come in conflict, they rendered unto Caesar the things that belonged to Caesar and to God the things that belonged to God. But I want you to notice what these men were accused of, and it was a true claim. It was a true charge. They had another king. His name was Jesus. And he ought to be our king. By our position in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have come unto Mount Zion. We have come to the capital city of God. Hebrews 12 tells us that. We are come unto Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. In the Bible, it's called the city of the great king. Because that's where Jesus Christ sits and reigns. Psalm 48 versus Hebrews 12 is a wonderful comparison. We have come to that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ by being in here this morning with sincere hearts who are swearing allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have come unto Mount Zion and to an innumerable company of angels and to the spirits of just men made perfect. We are part of a great army, a great church, the general assembly written in heaven. And who is our leader? Jesus Christ, the firstborn. He's the most important of us all. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4.16. It says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the the what? The throne of grace. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. On what basis can we come boldly? Because he's not just king. He's our great high priest that was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He has great compassion on every one of our temptations. Let us therefore... Because of that, it's described in verses 14 and 15. Let us come boldly unto the throne. Where is Jesus sitting? On a throne. Amen. What's it called, though, when, it's, when we are coming? A throne of grace. Right. How's there grace in that throne? He's the holy, omnipotent God. He is terrible to the kings of the earth. Why is it called a throne of grace? Because he's our high priest who offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Magnificent! 
How can you use earthly human terminology to come up with a more beautiful picture than Jesus Christ being our king and our priest together? King means he's got all the power. Priest means he's paid the full sacrifice. We have them both. We can come boldly. 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 You know, the king that I've been describing, you would not come boldly to him. You'd, you'd come trembling. We're supposed to come reverently, but we can come boldly. Why? Because it's a throne of grace. Amen. Because our Lord Jesus Christ balances mercy and truth perfectly. And he satisfied the truth with his own mercy so that we can come boldly. Even when we haven't been of truth ourselves, we can confess our sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins because of his own price that he paid for our forgiveness. We can come boldly at any time. And you can start over. And you can start over multiplied times a day by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. But he is a Savior and a priest. You don't think he accepts you? It's the throne of grace. And you can come boldly. Do you hear the word of God? Or are you going to reject it? You can come boldly. Because it's a throne of grace. Look at chapter 8 and verse 1. Same book. Hebrews 8.1 Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. Thank you, Paul. I like little summaries like this to help me understand where we've been when I'm reading some of your long sentences. I don't mean that disrespectfully either, but Paul does, you know, he writes sentences a little longer than I do. Sometimes they'll run on forever, especially Colossians chapter 1. I think the whole chapter has about three. Hebrews 8.1 Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. You want to know the sum of our religion? Jesus of Nazareth, born 2,000 years ago, sits on the throne of the majesty of the heavens. He is king and he is priest. He lives forever to make intercession for all those that the Father gave him. He'll not lose a single one of them. And because of that great sacrifice he has paid, he has all the... He has all the forgiveness for us so that we can come boldly. And because he's king and God has put him on his throne, he has all the power of the universe. You missing anything? Do we need anything else? I wish I knew how to tell you about it. I hope he'll forgive me. 12.2 Hebrews 12.2 It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Because of what he did in the cross for us, he got a little promotion. He was promoted to the pinnacle of the universe. Amen. Matthew chapter 2. Let's just revel in the fact that this Bible is a great drama revealing the Lord Jesus Christ. What did we get in Genesis chapter 3? Just a very small hint, didn't we? It'd be a male son of the woman. Just a little hint. By the time we get to Genesis 49, where we give a little bit more? Were we told that he was going to be a royal son? How are we told? A lawgiver shall not depart from Judah, nor a scepter from between his feet until 
Shiloh come. Amen. A scepter. What was that scepter a signal of? A symbol of royal authority, kingly power. We see it in Genesis 49. We're given little bits here and there. We get into Isaiah and Jeremiah, and it starts getting warmed up. That one's going to be born. He's going to be a son of David, and he's going to reign in righteousness. And he's going to judge and destroy all his enemies. And we come to Matthew chapter 2. You know, there was a 400-year gap between Malachi and Matthew. You're peacefully living in Judea. 2,000 years ago. You go to a university and you read a history book. They call it the history of civilization or the history of Western civilization. And the event that I'm about to show you isn't even mentioned because an earth-shattering event took place. And here it is. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Now when Jesus, Yeshua in Hebrew, Joshua coming into Greek, Jesus coming into English, a boy was born. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. They didn't want to talk about it. The devil has done his best and men have done their best to get rid of the record that Jesus of Nazareth is a king. Right. Is the king. Is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Is the blessed and only potentate. Herod was troubled. Do you know what Herod we're talking about? We are talking about Herod the Great. The greatest of the Herods. You can read about him. You know, you don't have to go to a library anymore. You can just go home and punch in. Herod the Great. He reigned over Israel for a long time in Judea. Exceedingly wealthy. An appointee of the Roman Caesars. He was troubled because it says here that wise men, these weren't just shepherds, these were wise men. And they came and they said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? We're here to worship him. What if you were King Herod and you were used to killing all your brothers, sons, anybody that got in your way, wives? Go read about him. But he's terrible to the kings of the earth, brethren. This man didn't want a competitor and he didn't want the Lord Jesus Christ. So he had the young young boys of Bethlehem killed. But I want you to know he was dead within two years. And God called his son Jesus back out of Egypt. Do you know who Herod confesses as king today? The Lord Jesus Christ. He thinks he's a great king. The greatest king he's ever imagined. And he wishes that he could go back to Matthew chapter 2 and meet the wise men again. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. I like that. Here's this stupendous event taking place. We had a hint in Genesis. It kept getting warmer and warmer and warmer. And there it is, right there. Now, Jesus was born into a humble home. And so for 33 and a half years, hardly anybody could figure it out that he was king. He didn't mind that. He'd heal someone with his power of his word. 
You know, everybody that stood around would say, What a word is this! He commands the winds and the waves and they obey Him. He commands devils to come out and they come out trembling. Look at these diseases leaping out of people's bodies by His voice. What would He say to each one that He healed? Tell no man. Tell no man. He wasn't a self-promoter, was He? Because it wasn't His times yet. He wanted to see if men would obey Him by looking a little closer than just some earthly kingdom. He said, my kingdom doesn't come with observation. I'm sorry, it doesn't look like Caesar coming to town. My kingdom is within you. And he was a king, but it wasn't his times to show it yet. And then he was crucified in the cross of Calvary. But he gave a few hints, didn't he? Was there a centurion there who had gone through his own ceremony of being sworn into the Roman army that knew a little bit about authority? What did he think when he saw the earth trembling, the rocks rending, the graves opening, and the sky black in the middle of the day. Truly, this man was the Son of God. Pilate. Pilate knew from his wife's dream and from the way that Jesus answered, Pilate marveled that all these false accusations could be brought against Jesus Christ and he didn't say a word. They're accusing him of blasphemy for claiming to be the king of the Jews. Pilate says, I want it in three languages on the top of that cross. As weak as that man was, three languages, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The Jews came who were his constituents and could have created a riot in Jerusalem and destroyed him and his small garrison. They came to him and said, right that he said he was the king of the Jews. What I have written I have written, and we see a little bit of courage out of that weak man because Jesus was the king of the Jews. Amen. Are you the king of the Jews? You got it. For this purpose I came into this world. You know what he says in John chapter 18 and 19? And those that delivered me unto thee have the greater sin. Pilate's wife's calling him aside and telling him, I've been troubled all night by dreams about this man. Leave him alone. The king of the Jews. And in Acts 17, we read that the brethren were still worshiping another king named Jesus. But I want you to know that 40 days after he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and God made him the king of the universe. Amen. This is one of my favorite subjects of the New Testament. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. You know I, re- I, I, I refer to these kind of words often. But it's the record of the New Testament that Jesus Christ is not on a crucifix. Right. Why do I get so upset about the crucifix? He's not on a crucifix. Nope. He's not in a manger. I, I hate both of their holidays. He's not in a manger and he's not in a crucifix. He's in heaven on a throne. Right. I'm telling you, they don't like him there. They like him naked on a crucifix because there that was a shameful place. The tree to be hung on a tree, the, what does the Bible say about it? It's a shame. Right. It's a curse. And so they love leaving him in a cursed position. Who do you think wants to do that? The devil. And all of his enemies. But he's not there. I want him on a white horse. If we're ever going to have any graphics arts in our church, if we're ever going to have any any um, graven images, it's going to be Jesus on a white horse. Not on a crucifix. And we're not going to have that. Don't, children, don't go home and start coloring. 
I don't need your help with Jesus on a white horse. But boy, I want you I want it I want him on a white horse in your mind, for sure. Because that's what the Bible wants us to know. Brethren, look at this. Ephesians chapter one, verse twenty. Verse 19 is describing the exceeding greatness of God's power in raising Jesus from the dead. To raise a man from the dead is a lot of power. Verse 20, which he wrought in Christ, this power that God wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Was it above some of those? Was it above all of those? Was it far above all of them? Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, whether it's Michael, Gabriel, or Lucifer. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things. For what purpose? To the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Words that I cannot explain to you. All that it says is Jesus Christ is over all. All things are under him. And he's been given that absolute position of power for the benefit of the church. And without the church, he would be incomplete. Because we are the fullness of him that filleth all in all. He fills heaven and earth because he is God. But without us, he is incomplete because he has chosen to make us his body. That's what it says. I don't know how to explain it. He wants me that badly. Not because there was anything in me. Because he wanted to show how great he was. That he could pick the scum of this earth. And make him a citizen in his kingdom. For his own honor and glory. This is how high the Lord Jesus Christ is. And I don't care where you turn in your Bible. You're going to read about him sitting on his throne. That's where he sits. Right at this hour. You know Daniel told about it. Daniel said, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed. So along comes this wild man named John the Baptist. You know, didn't look look like one of the ambassadors from Rome who arrived in purple robes and white garments, looking beautiful in great processions. Here comes this wild man. You know, he's, he's popping locusts. You figured that out, didn't you? You know, he's popping locusts, eating some wild honey. And this is the one that's announcing Jesus of Nazareth. Nothing desirable desirable about him. He just had these few words to say. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Anybody that's been reading their Bible, Daniel chapter 9, it had said 490 years, remember? 70 weeks of 7. Anybody reading their Bible, knowing when Daniel lived and made that prophecy, they were getting close to it. How do we know that? I read about a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna down there in the temple. And it says that they spoke to all that were looking for redemption. Oh, maybe there were some Bible readers back in those days. Do you think there were a few Bible readers? Mm -hmm. There were a few Bible readers. And we're a Bible reader today. And do you know what we read today already? In his times, he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate. There is an event coming, and I don't know of a prophetic calendar left to run. Why, we can't see. Here comes John the Baptist. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. In the days of these kings, in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, 
You know how Luke goes on in Luke chapter 3 to describe all the men that were in power? In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. The Lord Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judea under Herod the Great. And he is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is our Savior. He has called us out of this world. The only reason you have an interest in the things that I'm telling you this morning, the only reason you have an interest in the Bible and living a righteous life, is because the Lord Jesus Christ has this kind of power. Live! He said it to me. And when he said live to me, my dead soul came into life. And he gave me a new man and totally changed me. So they had a new man in me, and he's done that to every one of us that have an interest at all in these things. That is what kind of power he has. Amen. He is able to say, live. And he that was dead comes out in our grave clothes, and we look for someone to cut it away so we can see what he's done for us. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you love him this morning. Amen. I have ten hours of material. This was an outline that I put together yesterday, and I'm only partway through the, out- the introduction. The introduction. Poor Sherry had to be a stenographer on the way home yesterday. While I was driving, the Lord was merciful. He said, do you really believe in praise and thanksgiving? Do you really want to magnify me and exalt me? Then tell them again that I am king. Amen. Amen. Some of them worry about the election. You know, don't, don't take me any further than I'm saying. Some of them fear about political events. Some of them have troubles in their lives. They don't know how they're going to get out of them. Some of them think that they're not accepted with me. Tell them that I am a gracious king. Right. And that my throne, they can come boldly to it. Because I am not only king, I am priest. Amen. There is comfort, consolation, and courage at the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can run straight to it. You don't have to give them a week of good behavior. Right. You can run to it with a lifetime of bad behavior and he will receive you and love you and accept you and you can be part of his kingdom. And all you children that aren't baptized yet, get serious about it. I won't take forever. Show me your seriousness. I'm supposed to guard baptism. And I'll only baptize those that are serious about following the Lord Jesus Christ. I will not take forever. I hope that all of us who've already been baptized want to live up to our baptism and believe that there is a throne of grace and we have a great king and they can accuse us of being of the sect of the Nazarenes. I would count it an honor. Paul, I think, didn't mind being called the leader of that sect of the Nazarenes, the ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? He is king of kings and lord of lords. We'll try to get into some of the pleasant stuff this evening. If this hasn't been pleasant for you, come back tonight and I'll have a little bit more of a different sort. But Jesus Christ is glorious. Amen. And I hope you love him. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Amen.